We are Allie and Erica, certified integrative nutrition health coaches in gut and hormone health and the hosts of the podcast, Courageous Wellness. We are committed to destigmatizing conversations in the wellness space and celebrate the experiences and lessons of our guests in pursuit of physical, emotional, and spiritual wellness. Listen to Courageous Wellness wherever you get your podcasts with fresh episodes every Wednesday. Welcome to the Starseed Kitchen Podcast. I'm your host, Chef Whitney Aronoff, founder of Starseed Kitchen and High Vibration Foods. This is your source for information to empower you to be a positive seed for change in your community. Join me for conversation where we learn about food, wellness, and spiritual concepts for high vibration living. I'll be sharing my knowledge and learning with you from experts providing insight into nourishing all the layers of you, the physical, emotional, spiritual, and etheric bodies, so you can thrive in 5D. Let's get started. Today, I have Liz Riffle with me. And Liz is the owner of The Honest Carnivore, a one-of-a-kind meat school and community based in West Virginia. So let me tell you a little bit about The Honest Carnivore and its background, and then we'll jump into chatting with Liz. A Meat Collective is a -a one-of-a-kind meat school and community resource that offers hands-on classes to consumers in whole animal butchery, cookery, and charcuterie as well as on-farm slaughter. For each meat collective class through the Honest Carnivore, local farmers sell whole animals to students who in turn learn from seasoned butchers and chefs how to transform a whole carcass into food. Students go home with a lot of good, clean, fair meat and increasingly rare knowledge. Chefs and butchers share their craft And farmers sell directly to consumers who support humane and sustainable farming practices. The result is a growing community of informed omnivores who are inspired to eat meat more responsibly and to support a more responsible meat production system. The Honest Carnivore was founded by Liz Riffle, the owner of a grass-fed and finished bison farm in West Virginia. It's not only meat collective in the country, it is part of a growing movement. The very first meat collective was founded in 2010 in Portland, Oregon. In 2014, the Portland Meat Collective's founder, Camus Davis, launched a nonprofit, The Good Meat Project, with the mission to inspire responsible meat production and consumption through experiential education. One of the pro program's goals of the Good Meat Project is to spread the meat collective model to other communities, which Liz has adopted with her creation of the Honest Carnivore. While the Honest Carnivore is its own business entity, they work closely with the Good Meat Project and other meat collectives around the country to achieve the same mission. To find out who the other meat collectives are around the country or to find out how to start your own meat collective and attend classes, visit thehonestcarnivore.com. Well, thank you for your patience with that long introduction, but I thought your website on The Honest Carnivore um, did an amazing job of just explaining the classes that you offer and the purpose behind what you guys are doing. 
Yeah. Yeah. That was a great introduction. Um, and that's why we have all that up there too. Cause it is, it's a lot to take in. Everyone's kind of like, well, what is this? What are you doing? And, um, I feel like that, that pretty much buttons it up. <laughs> so, so for people that maybe haven't listened to our other podcast together, where we talk about your bison farm in West Virginia, can you tell us just briefly about your background? Yes, totally. So I'm actually a registered nurse by trade. Um, and got into the farming thing because you are what you eat, you get what you put in type thing. That is really first and foremost, you know, it's like health 101. Um, so that's a big reason why we are doing what we're doing. Um, we really wanted a better, more sustainable, honest meat source. Um, and my big thing on that was, I um, actually read a book um, called Eating Animals um, by Jonathan Fower many years ago that kind of exposed the factory farming system. And I was horrified. Um, it was good timing because I was, you know, in the process of figuring out what I wanted to do as a farmer and things like that. Um, part of me wanted to just become a vegetarian. I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't think I can ever eat animals ever again. Um, cause I'm an animal lover. First and foremost, I grew up with horses and dogs and that's just what we did. Um, so I was kind of horrified by the slaughter facilities and the process and how these animals are kept and treated and just all, all, all of those things. And, um, when we looked into the bison, um, what really captivated me besides the health profile of the meat is the fact that these animals can actually be field harvested they don't actually ever have to see a slaughter facility. Really? Um, so that is great. So I love that. And that resonated with me as a human. So that's a big reason for why we got into what we got into. Um, interestingly enough, it took me three years to work with the state of West Virginia to be able to do that because wow. <laughs> they didn't believe me that I could do that and then sell my meat but I can because bison are an exotic species. Um, but the meat collective is a way for other farmers that don't raise exotic species. And um, they can also field harvest their animals for a commercial type of sale. So whether that is for the butchery classes, right? So we yeah. buy animals from farmers for the butchery classes. Um, but the other way you can do that too, is folks who are more interested in getting quarter or half animals, mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, a little bit easier to do when you're talking about a pig versus, you know, a cow, um, that animal can be field harvested. And then that person can, if they purchase at least a quarter, not a problem, then it doesn't have to see a slaughter facility. And so that's a big piece of not only do I offer the classes to consumers just from the transparency piece. Um, but I also do some work from the education side for farmers in regards to like, Hey, did you know that your animal doesn't have to go to the slaughterhouse and how much better is that? Right? Like they've done studies on the amount of stress hormones that are left over in meat when an animal is stressed out. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, whether, you know, the meat tastes different or not, you know, other people will say different things, but the stress hormone is there. Um, prime example, cortisol, right? So there's extra cortisol in that steak that you're eating and you're just eating it, right? So that you're ingesting that extra cortisol that your body then has to process. Um, so that's no good for us either. And then it's just not fair. It's not fair to the animal. Like if we are going to eat animals, there has to be a transparency piece in recognizing what that animal or what it takes to actually put that animal on the plate. Um, and so that's a big part of what the Good Meat Project has been trying to do around the country is, you know, like make that connection piece for people and 
show them the transparency piece on like what it really takes to get a steak on the table and actually how much better it is for an animal to be field harvested than to be dropped off at a slaughter facility and then slaughtered, you know, a couple days later. And unfortunately, the way that typically works is they also have to be stunned and then they have to be shot and it's an assembly line. And then they have to be sterilized, basically. And some of the meat is irradiated nowadays. Mm -hmm. So it's just like this, it's just this huge rabbit hole we've gone through nowadays um, to make meat basically... I don't know, like we don't treat it like it's a living thing anymore. And I feel like that is a huge atrocity as a society. Um, And so this is my way of exposing that (laughs) and getting people into what it really takes to eat meat. So so in order to find meat or to get meat that has been field harvested, you really have to go straight to your farmer. Totally. There's no way that this is going to be labeled in a grocery store or even at a butcher shop, I think. No, um, to be honest with you, there are a few, there are a few places you could potentially get field harvested meat. Cause so bison is one of those things technically in the store we've been, we had worked with whole foods at one point to be able to do that. And we can get their global animal partnership certification for field harvesting. Um, to my knowledge, Whole Foods does not have any bison right now that is labeled that, but technically there is labeling out there for that, for certain species that are considered exotic, mm-hmm. um, for the USDA, bison, elk, deer, um, certain kinds of waterfowl and things like that. You could technically see it. Um, I have not seen it yet, but there may be a trend where you see that as of right now, if you want field harvested meat, you most definitely have to go to the farmer directly. It's kind of like raw milk, you know, it's illegal (laughs) technically to sell it to the masses. Right. And that's the thing too, is that I cannot technically sell you, well, sorry, bison's different, but if I were raising cattle, I cannot technically sell field harvested beef to the masses, Mm -hmm. right? But I can sell it to four people or I can sell it to a class. That's a caveat there, right? That's just, I'm a rule follower. Don't get me wrong. I was in the military. I get it. I get the whole government side of the house, but there's gray areas for a reason. And you got to be able to be smart enough to use those to your advantage. So yeah. If you have to buy raw milk for your dog, you buy raw milk for your dog. Exactly. (laughs) Or if they want you to own a part of that cow and there's 18, 18 people own one cow, then fine. Because I can get raw milk that way. (laughs) Right. So it's the same idea, same idea. So tell me a little bit more about how you started the honest carnivore. Um, Did it come, was an idea that came after you decided that you wanted to have a bison farm? Was it an idea that you had earlier on because you were looking for a place to take classes and learn? Where did it develop? Yeah, so it totally developed because um, we were looking into field harvesting our own animals. And then I was looking into how do I learn, you know, some of that butchery piece too. It's definitely an art form. It's one of those things that takes a lot of time to be really good at. Um, so I wanted to start learning some more of that. And so that's how I found the good meat project. And, um, Camus Davis, the woman who basically started that, she actually wrote a beautiful book years ago called killing it. Um, so it was actually, you know, one of the New York times bestsellers. Um, but it's a beautiful book about her transition as well into, she was a journalist originally, And then, you know, transitioning out, um, out of that space, I guess, because, you know, that corporate world just wasn't working for her and learning more about her food. And she traveled over to France and learned about basic butchery techniques and was like, oh my gosh, nobody does this in the United States. That's amazing. And so she kind of brought a lot of that back and, um, 
it was good timing because there were a lot of people besides Camus Davis. There's lots of people throughout the nation who do this um, and have recognized that we've lost the art of butchery, basically, yeah. you know, and the, the abattoir and things like that and and what it takes to, to do that. Um, so people are like bringing that back into mainstream focus, which has been really, really great. Um, but Camus, did, she's a journalist, so she wrote a beautiful book about it. <laughs> and so I was able to latch onto that and you know, we had a lot of conversations and, um, you know, she created that good meat project, which was an easy place for for me to be like, okay, well, I want to learn, but I also know that there's other people who want to learn in my community. So let's yeah. all just do this together. And so I created a business doing it. So it's been kind of a win-win from there. So, so tell me about the type of classes that you guys offer. Yeah, totally. So, um, so I've only been doing this for a couple of years. So we've only had a handful of classes going on, but we did like, we started off with poultry, right? So chickens are small. You can grab a chicken, you know, and some people, you can wring its neck, you know, depending on how you want to do it. But, um, it's just a little bit more manageable. Like one person can actually put their hands on an entire carcass and deal with that. (laughs) So we started off with that. Um, and then we've done pigs. Um, so we, um, actually one of our first classes, we did pig carcasses and we, went to a restaurant and did it. I had a local restaurant tour who opened up their restaurant for us, you know, one evening and which was nice because we could pair it with a bunch of beers. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, we had a class full of folks that we just put a bunch of carcasses out on the tables and showed them how to cut it up for themselves and, mm-hmm. you know, what it takes. And it took us hours to cut up, you know, a half carcass on a pig. Um, so we've done that. And, um, then with the bison, I offer folks to come up and experience a field harvest just because that's how we, that's how we get our meat. All of our animals are field harvested. Um, and what that looks like, right. Compared to, you know, if they have red books or if they've seen a slaughter facility or anything like that, I mean, when you just go out there and see, you know, Buffalo roaming and it's in the morning and kind of in the mist and it's very quiet and, you know, you just, you select an animal and you just walk basically my butcher or my sharpshooter. Now they're familiar with him. He can basically walk right out to them and it's one shot and they're down and that's it. There's really no stress to it at all. They don't have to be put on a trailer. They don't have to be driven down the road. They don't have to be unloaded and put into a squeeze chute and then shot like that is not, that is not a fun process for any animal, never mind a wild animal. So when you put bison in that type of situation, unfortunately, it's kind of like the experience I've had with, you know, um, Marines. So I've, I've taken care of a lot of wounded Marines, right? And it's amazing when somebody comes back and has a multiple gunshot wounds and you're like, how are you not dead? <laughs> you know, it's the same thing. When you get that adrenaline running through a system, one shot does not put you down. Wow. It's the same thing with an animal. And with bison, you know, when you get them off a trailer at a slaughter facility, unfortunately, most of the time you can't just shoot them once. And so not only is that not fair to the animal, that's a terrible way to die, right? They're scared. You know, that's not, that's not fair. That's not fair at all. Um, but that's not fun for the butcher. Somebody has to do that. And so I feel very strongly that that's not sustainable. You know, that's why a lot of butcher facilities have, have a problem keeping staff Mm -hmm. because they, that staff is not able to humanely put those animals down consistently. And that wears away at your soul. You know, you can only, you can't, you can't do that. So, so this is just a better process for everybody. It's way better for the animal. I feel like, you know, you know, I go out there and I have conversations with the bison and I'm like, okay, this is the deal. (laughs) Okay. Like you're going to stay here with me and have a pretty decent life. Okay. 
but the deals at the end, you know, I've got to like continue that cycle and you know, you're going to be shot, but instead of being eaten alive by wolves or coyotes or bears, right? Like that's, that's the deal. So, um, because mother nature, she's, you know, she's pretty hardcore too, you know, like the way that that usually works in mother nature is not a swift, clean shot at the prime of your life, you know? So, um, yeah, so I feel like it's that give and take there, you know? a little bit of that conversation we had. <laughs> no, thank so. you for sharing that because I've been chatting with my local butcher who's been giving me the heads up that, you know, he's been giving me the heads up kind of over the past year and a half that prices are going to keep rising because mm-hmm. they can't get people to work at the slaughterhouses, that there's plenty of animals, but they yep. can't process the animals because no one will work in the facilities, either because of the rules that state and local governments are now putting into those places or just because that's just not an environment um, a person wants to work in, obviously, as people are just becoming more conscious of um, of making sure that they're going to spend their days doing work that makes them feel good, you know, right. makes perfect right. sense that nobody wants to go to a sterilized facility um, wrapped in a coat with gloves, a mask and a hat on and mm-hmm. deal with, you know, cold, bloody carcasses. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's not. That's a tough job. That is a tough job. And it's unfortunate that we put humans in that position to feed other humans. Um, And so I feel like the transparency piece is the important part where people have to recognize that that's what's going on. So, and it is, it's just one of those things like my butcher who comes up, he's the sharpshooter, which is very convenient. Um, So he comes up and he says, "It, it really is. He enjoys, he enjoys that process to be able to field harvest you know, this animal, it's a very honorable way to die. It's, you know, it just, it's the way it should be. And like I said, it took us three years to get the state on board with that. And it was just so funny. The first time we did it, you know, years ago, they were like, hands down, they were like, that was way better. (laughs) And I was like, yes. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, this is way better for the animal. He's like, yeah, it's a little extra work because I got to like, you know, haul a carcass around. But I was like, actually, I think it's a lot easier to haul a carcass and it is a live bison, honestly. Um, and they were like, oh yeah, this is way better, way better. So have you, yeah. um, do you follow the Weston A. Price Foundation at all? Yes. Mm-hmm. So the Wise Tradition podcast hosted by Hilda Labrada Gore. Yep. She's been up to the farm. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure she <laughs> yeah. has because she's in your area. Yeah. She um, not long ago interviewed some people in Arkansas who ha- were doing now um, mobile programs. So they, like what's happening with you, they go to the farm and help mm-hmm. farmers harvest um, their animals on site yeah. instead of, like you're saying, trying to get all those cows, you know, to a facility, just right. so it's a more humane process, but also just a more efficient process and actually maybe, maybe more sanitary in the long term. I think so too. I actually think it's more sanitary as well. Um, yeah. I mean, there's some things you need to think about, you know, to make sure that it's sanitary, but, but I actually think it's more sanitary. <laughs> it's more sanitary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I know you guys offer the classes where you're breaking down a bison, you're breaking down a pig. Um, mm-hmm. You guys also have organ meat cooking classes, which yep. that interest is on the rise as people are relearning mm-hmm. these holistic values of food and how much organ meat nourishes them on a deeper level that, you know, plants and fruits just can't provide. 
Um, have you, how long have you guys been doing the organ meat cooking classes for? Yeah. So that's going to be a brand new thing this year, just because, right. Just like you said, people are very interested in those organ meats and we're getting more and more of them back off of the animal. And everyone's like, okay, well, you know, what do I do with it besides liver and onions? You know? Um, so we want to talk through that more and expose people to that more because as a society, you know, as Americans, we typically don't eat a lot of organ meat. Mm Um, and interestingly enough, most societies always did, you know, they didn't let any of that animal go to waste. So, um, so it's just one of those traditions that just hasn't been passed on. So we're just like trying to like get that back in. (laughs) Um, so this is going to be the first time we do it actually in May. And we're so excited to do that just because I'm excited too, because I don't, I don't cook organ meat that often either. So I'm excited to, to work with a chef locally here and really, really see what people think about, you know, what hearts, heart stew tastes mm-hmm. like and tongue tacos, um, things like that, that doesn't have to be just like a piece of liver on your plate that you're just eating with a fork and knife. You know, you can actually get creative with what you're doing with the organ meats as well. So, um, so yeah, we're just, we're really trying to get super creative with, all kinds of classes, you know, and I, I recognize, you know, some people like to see the harvesting piece of it. They actually want to see the animal be put down and some people don't want to see that too. So we offer, you know, all kinds of stuff like, um, later on this year in the fall, Mm -hmm. we're going to do a pig to prosciutto class or a pig to plate class. Um, so literally it's three day event. We put the animal down, we talk all about that. And then we actually start, you know, creating charcuterie out of it, you know, over those three days. Um, and so I think that that's just, I mean, that's, that's just a fun, really fun way to learn about the art of butchery and what it takes to, um, eat meat really. So yeah, we do the simple, you know, evening class, just a little bit of, um, butchery off of a carcass and where you get your steaks from and things like that all the way to like three day events. And like you were saying to the organ meats. So, um, yeah, so it's It's been amazing. I think there's such a want for these hands-on experiences because you can, you can read a recipe over and over again, but there's something about being able to do this with another person that really kind of supports your confidence level to help you actually jump on in and do it. Right. Yeah. And there's a sense of community around it. You know, a lot of people, like, I feel like again, in our busy lives, like we've kind of forgotten what it takes to break bread together and to actually sit down and have a meal together and how much more satisfying it is to cook and eat as a family, Mm -hmm. um, and, or as a community and as a group. And so it kind of just brings that back, you know, um, as central to eating, (laughs) you know, you don't just have to eat on the run by yourself. Um, it really is a community act and even more traditionally, the whole community would have participated to, to prepare it, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't have been doing one cow or one bison all by yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So So. where do you find these talented people that know these traditional scale skills to teach your classes? Like, that's what fascinates me is they're the needle in the haystack and they're the ones that we all want to learn from. How do you find them? I know they are the needle in the haystack. Um, <laughs> so, cause that's the same thing, right? So, so my butcher, obviously he does some of that, but he also runs his own business as a butcher. So he can't mm-hmm. like just teach classes all the time. Um, so then um, there's other farmers that 
I've been in contact with who also offer classes that I was like, Hey, do you want to come to us and offer a class? Or would you like to do your class with bison maybe? And so it just kind of grows from there. Yeah. It's really a word of mouth thing because, um, they are needle, needle in a haystack type thing. So, and, uh, typically butchers who run their own, you know, slaughterhouse or facility, they're very, very busy and, um, can't really get to a farm sometimes to be able to pull off an event, but, um, but timing's everything, you know? And everybody's got, you know, different schedules and different lives. So it's just one of those things. You just got to ask, <laughs> you got to find somebody to ask and see if they're even interested. And then there's been times too, where I've asked butchers and they're like, really, people are interested in learning how to cut yeah. off a tenderloin off of this carcass. And I was like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. And like, they'll come and pay you money for you to teach them to do that. And then they'll buy the steak. <laughs> so yeah. And so that's just been like, maybe like a mindset change. I feel like just as a business professional too, like some people yeah. just don't realize what they have and like what skills they have that people are actually interested in. Like you're a butcher. I would love to know how to wield a knife like that, you know? So, um, or knife you know. to wield. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Hi. I'm Chef Whitney Aronoff. As a personal chef, I created custom organic spices for my clients. These blends are of the highest quality with no added sugar, MSG, caking agents, or any junk. I want you to have the same access to good quality seasonings, which is why I've launched my line of organic spice blends. High Vibration Foods by Starseed Kitchen is my collection of chef-crafted organic spice blends made with only good-for-you ingredients. I use organic source spices, ancient mineral-rich Redmond real salt, prepare the blends listening to kundalini mantra music, then charge the jars with the quartz Giza crystals for a true high vibration experience. You can now purchase my most requested blend, 11 Magic Herbs and Spices, on starseedkitchen.com. Use code STARSEED for 10% off your purchase. Can't wait for you to enjoy. For people that attend your classes, are there cuts of meat they'll be exposed to and that they'll get to eat that maybe they wouldn't be able to find in their everyday life? Like you mentioned a a loin, you know, like I've never seen a bison loin for sale. I've never seen bison short ribs for sale, you know, in our grocery stores, all we ever get is ground bison and maybe a steak or two. Right. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Like when you come up to the farm and if we do, you know, bison butchery or, you know, a a big, a big one we do is we do the field harvest class prior to like our annual bison roast. Yeah. And we do take like the tenderloin and stuff off of that animal and then we cut it up and then we, you know, fry it up so that people can taste, you know, super fresh off the farm, just field harvested, (laughs) you know, bison tenderloin and what that really tastes like. Um, yeah, definitely. We do all kinds of cooking demonstrations, whether it's just even for tours or things like that, because people are always curious about how to cook it and where it comes from. And I've never had that. So yeah. So what's your your big event that you guys are having after your bison class this fall? I think it's in October, right? Yep. Yep. So our, um, so we do the field harvest, um, it is October 7th is a field harvest and then October 8th is the actual roast. So we field harvest an animal and then we put it on a giant homemade spit mm-hmm. and slow roast it for like 22 hours in front of a crowd. So, wow. Yeah. So that's a really fun event. It's a beautiful time of year in West Virginia because we get some wonderful fall foliage. Um, and then we started doing camping at the farm as well. So people can come up and camp for the weekend and do that event and participate and 
you know, the field harvesting and the butchery piece and um, we have local kegs and stuff and live music. So um, it's, it's a, it's a fun party. It's like one of our biggest, it's our biggest event of the year, you know, towards the end of the year. And um, yeah, we, we love doing those, but we do have other smaller events throughout the year too. So like for father's day, we're going to do, you know, um, a dinner, like smoked, um, bison ribs, you know, for father's day and just for folks to come up with their family. Cause it's really, it's a really easy place. The farm is a really easy place for families to come up and kids can run around and be kids outside and you can still eat as a family and enjoy yourselves, you know? So we, we try and do different events like that throughout the year. So we're going to be doing a few different dinner events, um, you know, May and June and August and things like that. So, yeah. Fall is my favorite time of year where you guys are. So that's so amazing mm. that you guys are doing big outdoor cooking, you know, gatherings with that seasonal change um, and a nice slow cooked meat and something that's really from the earth, like animal meat. I think people forget animal meat is a great grounding food. I think people think, oh, you know, I need a ground. I'll walk barefoot on the grass or I'll eat root vegetables and beets and potatoes and carrots. But they forget that animal meat has that ability to do that for us. It helps us mm-hmm. kind of stay in our body, be grounded, be more connected to the earth because the, the animals are eating the earth and they're a right. part of it. Um, so that's just a great time of year to kind of celebrate the harvest, including animals in it um, and enjoy that with community. Totally. I totally agree. So yeah, we're looking forward to it, you know, so it's going to be, it's going to be a busy year for us and um, we're excited to do all kinds of all kinds of events like that. So yeah. Any events that you are looking to bring on um, that are specifically focused on things that you are really wanting to learn about? I would love to do a lamb class. That would be one of my big things. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, I'm a big lamb lover. It's been one of those things. And I, I do, I, I like lamb too. Lamb's one of those things. People either love it or hate it type thing. It does mm-hmm. have, it does have quite, quite its own flavor profile. Um, so, but I, I would love to do a lamb class. And I feel like that's one of those things too. If, um, if you can learn to do that, you know, a couple of times under instruction, you could, you could potentially go and buy your own lamb and, you know, do the breakdown of the carcass in your own kitchen. It's not, it's not a big animal, you know, so you could definitely potentially really do all that yourself, you know, go to the farm and pick out a lamb be like, yep, I want that one. And you field harvest it and bring it home and dress it and done. So um, I feel like that's one of those things that I would like to be able to do as a cook, as a chef, as a mom. Um, I'd like to be able to just be like, oh yeah, let me just take this into my kitchen and we'll just cut it all up and we'll have lamb ready and it'll be good to go for the next three months. <laughs> so, and lamb seems like one of those animals that isn't the flavor of the lamb doesn't seem to just be affected by the grass that it eats or the environment that it's in, but it seems that, um, how you slaughter and process the lamb also affects the flavor of lot. Have you heard anything about that? Yeah. I mean, definitely just like any of that meat, you know, if it's in a facility where it's all stressed out and then sterilized, you know, that meat, it's going to taste a lot different than if it was just broken down on your dining room table. Yeah. It seems like it comes out a lot stronger and pungent and, um, right. The flavor stay intact instead of being drenched or in water baths and things like that. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. Interesting. So there's a lot that goes on with the animal that we just aren't aware of as consumers with what is 
being dressed on the meat to um, sanitize it before it gets to us. Yeah. That's what I was afraid of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The meat we get in the, um, unfortunately in the grocery store is like sterilized before putting in, being put in that package. So, yeah. And then unfortunately then other things grow. I mean, like it doesn't stay sterile for forever because the packaging is typically not vacuum sealed. Um, so then other things start growing and whether that's good things or not, that's debatable. Yeah. So, just that's like why you get produce. Right. Exactly. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's why you get produce that's like waxy and kind of like, why does it feel that way? You know, it's the same thing. What, like, why do you get slimy chicken from the grocery store? Why, why is it slimy? Like, that's not, I don't understand. You know, it's just because it's been sterilized and then packaged and then shipped and then other stuff starts growing. So yeah. Why does yeah. It the water come out of the roast chicken when you cook it? Right. Because it's drenched in water baths. Right. So yeah, it's, it's a very interesting industry, you know, like what, like, like we've become so far removed from where our food comes from that the industry has just completely pulled the hood over all of us and just gets away with what they can to be able to ship it everywhere to everyone, you know? So um, I don't know. It just, the transparency piece is the important piece. I feel like people need to, people need to know and to be able to make an educated decision. So, so for people that are just starting to learn about this, so they're just starting to question, why do my apples have wax on it? You know, <laughs> why does my celery at the grocery store, why is it a pale green versus the celery at a farmer's market is a vibrant green? You know, why is my chicken slimy? Why are, why is my chicken gigantic in size, but I go to another place and it looks anorexic, you know, right. People that are starting to ask these questions and are thinking, gosh, let me just try ordering directly from a source. Mm -hmm. Um, Where do you think people should start looking when they want to drop purchase directly from someone like you or a local farm in their area? Where can they start if they're feeling overwhelmed? Totally. I think you got to look up your local farmer's market. You got to start there. So farmer's markets are popping up all over the place, which is Mm -hmm. great. And then once you find one farmer's market, you'll find another one. And then you'll start finding a few farmers that will connect you with a few more farmers. So, and each farmer is a small business too. So, so they may have a ton of chicken for a few weeks and then they may be out of chickens. And then you're going to have to go find another chicken farmer, you know? So, um, so it's all about making those connections and having those conversations, but the farmer's market is a great place to, to do that. So, cause you get to talk to the farmer, you get to, you get to, they're there for you, right? They have a product and they want to talk to you about their product. So ask them a million questions and, you know, talk to them about their farm friends and, Um, and then from there, you'll all of a sudden have a ton of options. Um, so yeah, so I would say that's where you got to start. So what are the questions people should be asking? Totally. Like like the top three questions they should be asking to know that they're getting chicken that's different or any sort of meat that's different from what they can get at the grocery store. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a great question. Um, and (laughs) people always ask like, well, what do I, what's the buzzword that I need to talk to them about their regenerative farming? And I was like, okay. If you walk into a farmer's market though, and you start grilling this farmer about their regenerative practices, they're probably going to be like, oh my gosh, like, are you doing a news story or something? So um, really what you want to do is ask them about themselves. Why did they get into farming Mm. and how's their season going? And to be honest with you, those two questions will lead to all the answers you ever wanted Mm. about their practices and why they do what they do and what types of meat they have and things like that. So, so yeah. you guys have bison on your farm. When you want something other than bison, where do you go? Yeah, totally. Oh my gosh. I've got so many options. It's amazing now. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> it depends on where I am. Cause sometimes we're in Virginia beach and sometimes we're uh-huh. in West Virginia. So I've got my chicken and pig farmers in West Virginia and I've got my chicken and pig farmers and lamb farmers and Virginia beach. And then really all the way in between too, whether it's Washington DC or Charlottesville, Virginia, you know, sometimes on my way to and from, I pick up things all the way to and from. So I deliver things all the way to and from, and then I also pick things up on the way to and from. So, um, but yeah, just one of those things like that has been so refreshing actually about being a, becoming a farmer is that there's just this wonderful flourishing community out there of people that you get to connect with and learn from them as well. And we don't do chickens and that's fine. I don't want to do chickens. There's other people who do a beautiful job with their chickens. Um, (laughs) So, but I know off the top of my head, I mean, like six chicken farmers here in Virginia beach and, you know, 10 of them in West Virginia. So, um, yeah, it just, I don't know. Once you start getting into that community and start going to the farmer's markets and we're vendors, right. We obviously meet all the other vendors as well. Um, and like I was saying, not everybody has chicken all of the time. Not everybody has eggs all the time or pork or whatever. So then you go to somebody else who does, you know, and so it just is, just, you know, you just cycle around. (laughs) So, yeah. So for people that want to get into learning hands-on, like what you guys are offering through the honest carnivore, um, but they, maybe they aren't on the East coast, where can they go and look to find more opportunities like what you guys offer? Yes. Yeah. That's, is there a resource? I know. There are a lot of regional resources um, that would point you directly into the direction of local farmers. That is a tough one Um, because a lot of organizations we're involved with don't necessarily like sit there and like line out a bunch of farm, farm names, honestly. Um, It's really, it's really figuring out where your farmer's markets are. And once you find your farmer's markets, then you can find your farmers consistently because even like the regenerative hub that we work with, Mm -hmm. like savory, you know, like they have a beautiful website and they're, they're actually international, but they're not, they don't ever list, you know, specific farms, um, that are in certain regions or things like that. That's probably a tough thing to keep up with. That's why Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure a lot of, a lot of places like that don't do that. Um, but it does make the small farmer really hard to find. Um, so yeah, so it's really just connecting with, you know, or searching or Googling, you know, your local community farmer's market or your city farmer's market. And then, um, and then all the connections will start coming in, but there's not like one stop shop, unfortunately. So what farmer's market can people go to if they want to buy your bison meat and meet you guys and learn more about your classes? Yeah, totally. So we are at the Deep Creek Farmer's Market in Maryland this year. And then in Virginia Beach, we are at the East Beach Farmer's Market in Norfolk. And then we're also at the Talbot Farmer's Market also in Norfolk. So um, so yeah, so those are the three markets that we, we kind of are around, but if anybody wants us to deliver meat to them, we do do that mm-hmm. within a certain reasonable radius Yeah, <laughs> or on my way to and from between Virginia and West Virginia. So Amazing. we do deliver in DC and things like that. So, um, so yeah, so that's where that online platform, we do have an online store and people can definitely pre-order online. And then, you know, we get together in regards to when we want to bring stuff to them. So that's how a lot of people like would order like a quarter bison or something like that. You know, they order it online and then we connect with how we want to get it to them. So, and so right now when someone wants to order a quarter bison or get your bison meat, um, 
it's all fresh. You don't freeze or ship anything. We, we do freeze it. It is frozen. Um, you can definitely, if you want bison that is fresh, we can do fresh. Um, but that's, then you're starting to play the game with the timing thing. So, cause yeah. fresh meat only stays fresh and good for so long. So I hope you only want like, I don't know, weeks worth of stuff because then it's not going to be good anymore. <laughs> um, so, so most of our products are frozen, but we definitely don't ship just because it's really hard for a, a small business like, like us, you know, we only have basically two and a half employees. <laughs> so to try and figure out the shipping piece is really, we've played around with it in the past. Yeah. It's really expensive, unfortunately, because it needs to it show is. up to your door, still frozen in a reasonable amount of time. And mm, uh, shipping these days is not, it's not that it's not that easy. So no, it's not, I sell organic spice blends and it's, I'm selling a jar with 5.5 ounces of organic spices. And that yeah. is challenging to make mm-hmm. sure that it gets to, you know, my customers swiftly and within a reasonable price. Right. Exactly. That's the thing too. Is yeah. Right, so the I was, yeah. I was curious what it's like for someone that wants to send something frozen because it's not, it's not easy to send something that's not frozen. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting business. I mean, there are perks to it. Like if you were to ship frozen things, you know, every day, you know, and, and do it at a bulk, you know, then FedEx gives you a decent price to do that. Right. So, but I'd have to hire five people to be able to do that, you know? So that's just not, that's just not where our business model is headed and that's okay. I'm okay with that. I don't need to compete at that level. I really, we really focus regionally and, and we're okay with that. So, um, there's, there are other bison producers in the nation and I recommend folks to find their local bison producer. (laughs) So, so where can people go to learn a little bit more about, um, the honest carnivore and the classes that you're teaching for this upcoming year and also the events that you're having on your farm in the fall? Yeah, definitely. So the Honest Carnivore, those classes specifically are housed under the website, thehonestcarnivore.com. And then specific to our farm events, like different dinners and farm to, like farm to table dinners and things like that, that we do. Um, that's all on our farm website, which is rifflefarms.com. So folks can peruse both of those. Perfect. Thank yeah. you. So you do so much through your farm to help teach other people incredibly valuable skills. Where do you turn so you, to keep learning and being curious and um, where do you go to keep on kind of learning and growing? Yeah, totally. Um, I read a lot of books. It's a big thing. And um, I, so from the butchery side of the house too, I'm starting to really lean on my, my local butcher, you know, the mm-hmm. gentleman who, and the family who really breaks down our animals. Um, so, so that's kind of, you know, we're, we're trying to get in there more often as he processes the entire animal to the point where like he packages it all too, you know, that's, that's a lot of work. Yeah, <laughs> um, so yeah, so I definitely look to them to guide me from that aspect. And then, um, we're kind of just on this regenerative, um, holistic management, I should say, um, journey that I started last year through the Savory Institute. And we were, were lucky enough to get hooked up with the local hub that's there in Virginia. And, um, so right now that's kind of, it's kind of my thing that keeps, keeps the wheels going and, you know, keeps me honest, (laughs) um, as a farmer. So, 
Um, so yeah, you know, there's always, there's always different things that pique your interest and you just meet different people who have different perspectives that, you know, once you start talking to them and, and you latch on to the way they do something and Hey, you know, teach me this. And then you do that. And then somebody else teaches you something else. And it's kind of a cool cycle. Well, you're lucky you're on a farm and you're in nature every day because there is always a lesson or something new to, to, to learn that just shows up in your life. Yeah. It's the joy of, of interacting with, with nature and being outside is you can't go, can't go along without a lesson or something popping up that you need to learn more about. Right. Right. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, it's been a wonderful transition, you know, and it's something that we wanted to do as a family. And I'm just so, I'm so glad that we're blessed to be able to, to do this. And, um, I mean, it's been, it's been a ride. Let me tell you, it's been up, up and down. So, um, but it's been worth it. It really has. So. Well, I'll wrap up a conversation. I know that I kept you uh, longer than I promised, Um, but there's one more question about, about bison that I forgot to ask you. And that is what happens to their skin and their hair and that part of the carcass? It's a great question. Um, so I would like, I would love to have a better answer for you. Unfortunately, most of the time that carcass goes to probably be buried. Um, not carcass, the hide, I should say. Yes. We do get a couple of them done. Um, it's tough because it's a very big hide for one. It's very heavy. They're very expensive to get tanned. Mm -hmm. And unless that's something that you know how to do yourself, which maybe someday we will get into that and be able to have the time to, um, to do our own hides, but that's a whole nother art art form in and of itself. And there are some people that do a very beautiful job with, with bison hides locally. Um, but it costs like a thousand dollars to have it done. So I do have a handful of hides. We've got bison rugs all over the place. Right. So, and I I don't need any more bison rugs. (laughs) So as much as I would like to do something with the hides, I do, you know, it kind of cycles, you know, every year I have conversations with different tanneries up in Pennsylvania or different places or, you know, somebody who will do something with the hide besides me just burying it, which, which is okay in and of itself. At least it's going back down into the earth and nourishing the earth with whatever nutrients that it does have. You know, it's not being wasted per se, it's not being burned or something like that. Um, so, and then occasionally I have some local, a bunch of local hunters and guys are always like, Oh, I'd like a bison hide, but I'm not going to pay for that. So can I try and tan it myself? And I'm like, by all means, here you go. Here's a raw hide. Do what you want with it. So, um, so we do, we do do that. And the same thing with the skulls, you know, the heads as well. We occasionally do get them professionally dipped or dyed or bleached out or things like that. And then what I've kind of been doing most recently though, is bringing them back home, burying them Mm -hmm. and, um, just letting them, you know, just let mother nature do it. And it's not a perfect job by any means. It's definitely not bleached by any means, but, um, but I kind of, I kind of like, I kind of like the way that looks. Um, it's amazing what all the bugs will do and it will just pick it so clean. There's just nothing on it. And it just has this beautiful, you know, patina from being in the soil. So we've started to really collect some more of those. Um, so, but it's definitely one of those things. It's definitely in the back of my mind all the time. I'm always thinking about what can I do with this beautiful hide, (laughs) you know? So yeah, it's not a perfect system by any means, but it's a work in progress. Yeah. And you get to keep learning along the way. And maybe there's some artisans that are listening to this and you're exactly what they're looking for. So if you want to reach out to Liz, I'll make sure that her contact information is at the bottom of the information about this podcast and also um, under the YouTube video where this is posted so they can get in contact with you. 
Great. Or can you share again, the website that they can go to, to learn about your classes? Yes, definitely. So the classes are on the honestcarnivore.com. And then our farm is just rifflefarms.com. Perfect. And as you know, I love it for my guests to share just kind of one wellness or health tip that uh, the person listening today can consider incorporating into their life. Is there a tip that you would like to share today? Yeah, I'm going to go with the same tip I had last time. You got to know your farmer. Like it's really, I feel like that's where it all starts. So, and once you know your farmer, it all just kind of falls into place. So I think it's great that you're reminding people that when you go to the farmer's market, it's not just about your fruits and vegetables, that Mm -hmm. there's a lot of other things that you can pick up there. And that includes your animal proteins and your eggs. And, um, definitely look into that and, you know, maybe try not always relying on your grocery store to provide that for you, but, you know, Mm -hmm. go to your local farmer's market and tap into the resources that are there. Totally. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Thank you so much, Liz. I really appreciate your time and kind of sharing everything that you've learned along your journey, as well as, you know, just insight into your meat school and the community that you've cultivated in West Virginia. So thank you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Whitney, again, thank, thank you for taking the time to ask all the questions. Yeah. So, anytime. Yeah. And um, please reach out if you start your lamb classes, I'll be on <sighs> flight yeah. over. Totally. I know we'll get there. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Starseed Kitchen podcast. For more Starseed Kitchen, visit our website at starseedkitchen.com and follow us on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Be sure to pick up a jar of my High Vibration Foods Organic Spices, which you can purchase on starseedkitchen.com. And you can find me and follow along on my cooking adventures on all your favorite social media channels at Whitney Aronoff.